Welcome to our second series of our Girl About the Globe podcast, episode number 38, where I'm continuing our series of making a difference when you travel. This week, I share an interview with Jan Edwards, founder and CEO of Paving the Way, an organisation committed to being a fierce disruption in the cycle of child trafficking around the globe. Jan has been awarded Humanitarian of the Year, and she joined me to discuss human trafficking and how we can prevent it when we solo travel. Stay tuned. Welcome to Girl About the Globe, a podcast for you as a solo female traveller, empowering women to travel solo with maximum adventure, minimum impact. Welcome to a dose of inspiration for the solo female traveller, and today I'm joined by Jan Edwards, an internationally known advocate and expert against human trafficking. Jan is the founder and CEO of Paving the Way, an organisation committed to being a fierce disruption in the cycle of child trafficking around the globe. Jan has been featured in the Huffington Post, Marie Claire UK, on iHeartRadio as an expert in prevention and awarded Humanitarian of the Year. Jan is also the writer and producer of the award-winning film Trapped in the Trade. So Jan joins us today to talk about how to spot human trafficking when we travel and how to prevent it. So welcome, Jan. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Totally my pleasure. Thrilled to be on today. <laughs> so I read a startling statistic that more than 57,000 people are victims of human trafficking, with most of them being children, teenagers and women. And I also saw that it's estimated that more than a quarter of a million American children and youth are at risk for sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Such a crazy statistic and obviously extremely worrying. So yeah. are you able just to start by defining exactly what human trafficking is for those who, who aren't too sure? Sure, but I want to share just real quickly is this is a $150 billion business around the globe. Wow. And it's 47 million people. Wow, are, okay. Yeah, 47 million. So about 5.4 million children are at risk. Like when you get it at a at a global level, yeah. it really starts to um, sink in as to what human trafficking is, and more importantly, really what it looks like. So you know, there's legal definitions of it, and I'll give you that, and then I'll break it down real simple. It's, okay. it's the action or practice of illegally transporting people for the purposes of forced labor or commercial sexual exploitation. Now then, with that being said, right, if you're under the age of 18, you don't have to be transported anywhere. Coercion doesn't have to be involved in the state of Florida, and and generally in a lot of other states too, and Europe is starting to alter their definitions too. But we believe that a child under the age of 18 would not choose, like really choose, that life. So we automatically, they automatically are not arrested. They go actually into the care of the Department of Children and Family Services, so they're taken care of. Um, If you're over 18, human trafficking is defined as the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of persons by the means of threat or use of force or other forms of coercion, abduction, fraud, deception, or abuse of power. 
Yeah, and the frightening part, here's the, like, really, you know, because this is a global conversation. I love the fact that you're traveling around the globe and you're in, encouraging other people to do the same thing because that's really how I became aware of this. I was in Ethiopia on a medical mission a few years ago. And, you know, I'm in a car driving with people in a foreign country. I wasn't driving. And out of the corner of my eye, I saw something and I turned and it was literally this very split second of you could see children being offered up, like like literally trans, you know, transferring of children from one person to the other. Wow. And that was in Ethiopia. And, yeah. And, and I was like, it didn't feel right. It didn't look right. But, you know, I'm in a foreign country. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm like, okay, this is really weird. So I started talking to my hosts that were there. And they're like, oh, yeah, Ethiopia is one of the number one sources of human trafficking into the Middle East. They have 7.5 million orphans. And I was like, oh my wow. wow. Right? And so when I came home and started to discover how prevalent it was here in the United States, I was even more surprised because I, like most people, thought trafficking was an over there issue, and it is. I didn't think it was an over here issue. Yeah. And, you know, and sadly, um, you know, the most common form of human trafficking is sexual exploitation, and it's predominantly women and girls, and the second most common form is forced labor, you know. Um, I, and I think it actually might be a little higher. It says 18% according to the UN, but they say, and I agree, it's probably higher because, you know, the, the thing about trafficking, it's called a silent crime for a reason. You know, you've got the victim who is ashamed, they're embarrassed, and they're scared. And that is actually perpetuated by the perpetrator who uses threats and force and coercion and guilt to keep them there. So labor traffickers, in particular, if they're not in their home country, aren't going to say anything for fear of deportation. Yeah. You know, and, and the traffickers know this and they prey on it. My next question, actually, which is what you've discovered, was going to be, can you tell us more about the history of the company? Because you founded your organization called Paving the Way. Yes. Um, so that began when you were in Ethiopia and you noticed something that wasn't quite right and then you realized exactly how big the problem is. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, it's just not okay with me. Personally, you know that that children, in particular, and really any any um, adult at risk, right? But children, in particular, are being sold into this unknowingly, are being forced into this unknowingly, generally by people that they love and trust, which is are their parents. You know, there's a lot of families that are enticed by you know the possibility of their child having a brighter future than what they had. You know, and, and these people, and they don't know, they just don't know. And someone comes along and promises their child a great future, and they actually pay for the child, right? And so the parents now have money that they can actually, you know, survive on and feed their other children. And then this child thinks they're going into you know, this great future when they're not. And, you know, I, I don't, over here, it's like I'm out to alter this globally. So, you know, not only in the United States, but also Europe, but also, you know, also South America, also Africa, also the Middle East, also the Far East, you know, to really educate people of what human trafficking is. And your child may not be, the likelihood is low, that they're going to have a better life than what they currently have with you. Yeah. So do you think a lot of these children are sold without the parents 
really knowing the potential dangers for their child. Do they ever see the child again? Mm -hmm. No, generally not. The average lifespan of a child in this environment is less than seven years. Wow. So, you know, if they're they're offered up at 13 or 14, the, the likelihood of them seeing their 20s is very, very low. They die of disease, they are beaten to death, they try and escape and are caught, or, you know, just it's, it's a life most of us can't even fathom. And when you talk to the survivors, and I like to call them warriors, because less than 5% make it out, okay? So these individuals, men, women, boys, girls, that actually make it out of that life, these are some badass people. You know, that they got through it, they saw an opportunity, and they took it, and they left. Or they escaped, or they were rescued. It takes something to survive what they're dealing with. It's beyond anyone's comprehension, really. Why do you think it's such a big industry? It's a great moneymaker. We'll we'll take labor trafficking as an example, because it's one of the largest issues in, you know, Europe and Africa and the Middle East, is if you're going to... In, in really any other westernized country, you're going to build a building. You need carpenters, you need foremen, you need people that will, you know, manage the cement, you need people that are going to climb up on the big scaffolding, you know, you need all those kind of people, right? In most westernized countries, you pay labor to do that job. You pay them. You pay them a wage. That's why we have organizations that protect workers. So imagine you have a budget of $5 billion to build a building, but you have no labor costs, which is about 30% of most, you know, business costs. So instead of it costing you 30% of that, you actually get to keep that money because you are forcing people to work for free, right? On the sex trade side, one girl, it, you know, is worth about $250,000 a year. And I'm, I'm presuming that the younger the girl, the more, yes. the more money. It's, it's such a completely different world, isn't it? And one which is so difficult to kind of fathom. I recently visited a human trafficking organization in Moldova, actually, because that's, that country has actually got quite a big human trafficking problem. Yes, it does. And hearing some of the stories about parents that were selling their babies across the border just for, for money and learning how teenagers were being enticed by um, people texting them and they kind of talk about them and us and they get them on on their side so that they go against their friends and against their parents it's just really scary how easy it is for for young impressionable women and children to actually be lured into that kind of industry yeah very much so and the and sometimes the parents know right so i'm not going to pretend they don't sometimes the parents know Right, and they do it willing. And I actually have the UN report on Moldova. I actually have a friend from Moldova. She works in a uh, she works with a um, NGO over there. The victims, the verified victims of Moldova, has grown exponentially, almost gosh, sixty percent. You know, over the past few years, and it's um, adults and children, which is interesting. And they actually have, they, you know, they have a special section for combating trafficking that was established by the Minister of the Interior. You know, so there's a lot of countries that are starting to hop on board and really, you know, be like, no, 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 this isn't okay. Because if you think about it, right, just economically, let's think about long-term versus short-term, you're actually giving away your future. Children are our future. 
whether they're future leaders, future board members, future teachers, future scientists, giving away our future. So for country to do that and not think the longer term issue, that's really why education is so important and the prevention work that we do is so important is to have, you know, governments and private entities and the public sector really to understand we've got to stop this because it's our, our future is literally at stake. And I know that you've trained over 1,300 children and young adults and you give regular talks, don't you, to raise awareness about sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. You've created mission ambassadors. Can you tell us a little bit more about these? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm going to invite everyone that's listening you can be a um, adjunct mission ambassador just by listening to this and really learning what the signs of trafficking are and taking action. So I have a 501c3 called, it's the Paving the Way Foundation, and then I have an LLC, Paving the Way. Our 501c3 goes out into communities and educates people, and I've got about 25 mission ambassadors from Arizona all the way up to Maryland. And there, we train them, we give them our film, you know, our award-winning film, Trapped in the Trade, and we train them to go out and speak. And, you know, we give them everything they need. We have monthly trainings, and we train by Zoom, so people can hop in from anywhere on the globe. And, you know, practice leading the conversation, practice answering questions, because until, and until you get in front of a group of people, you really don't know. You can practice all you want, <laughs> right? Yeah. But until you actually stand in front of other human beings deliver this conversation because it really is a conversation that's really what makes what we do so unique is uh, unlike a you know it's kind of like this is a conversation you're asking me a question i'm answering it but it's actually reversed when i stand in front of a group of human beings because they ask some very poignant questions for them to do the critical thinking because they ask them what would you do you know if you're checking into a hotel and right next to you is an older gentleman with a clearly younger girl she looks uncomfortable. She looks nervous. And he, you know, like you get that sense in your gut. Yeah. That, that's the moment to take an action. You know, there is the national trafficking hotline. There is a ability to text. I know most countries in Europe have, you know, hotlines as well that you can actually pick up the phone and call somebody. And you can look at the hotel manager once they've, you know, gone away or engage in a conversation. And, you know, say, okay, do you know what that was? Let's call the police because she was clearly not his daughter. You know, or sometimes they'll have young girls come in to get, you know, to pay for the room and get the keys. That they have a hard time speaking the language. You know, they look nervous. They might be dressed inappropriately. They might have, you know, tattoos. They might just look emaciated. You just, you never know. But you've got to trust your gut. And that's one of the things we teach our mission ambassadors to talk about is, You want to wake people up, get your nose out of your phone, and go talk to people and really start to get a sense of what's happening around you. Because every time we speak, you know, I give people the 800 number for the National Trafficking Hotline. So if you're traveling in the U.S., you're going to call 888-3737-888 and report what you see. Or call 911. Almost all other countries have an emergency line. And you call that number and you tell them what you're seeing, you know, so you can actually save a child's life. And that's how we're going to start to end this is we're going to cut off the supply chain. Yeah. Because our our kids are the commodity and we've got to educate them. We've got to let them know what's happening. Would you say that some countries it's easier to spot the signs than others? So the scene that you were describing there, it immediately made me think of somewhere like Cambodia. 
where it's kind of very in your face with underage girls paraded around, sometimes holding numbers. Would you say some countries are easier to to detect? Um, you know, if you're paying attention to your surroundings, you're going to notice it everywhere. You're going to notice it when you travel back home to the U.S. You're going to notice it in Europe. You're going to notice it in Great Britain. You're going to notice it in Scotland. You're going to notice it in Russia. Wow. You know, it just it, it doesn't look a particular way because there's labor trafficking, right? And that includes massage parlors and nail salons and hair salons. And then you've got the construction site and you've got domestic servitude. So, you know, there's things to look for when you're traveling that really... You know, it's like you just start to keep your antenna up. I like to call them spidey senses, you know. And, you know, and then there's the sex trafficking. It doesn't always look like what it does in Cambodia and Thailand, with, you know, girls holding up numbers. It really can look like the girl next to you, you know, in the, on the bus, on the train. When I was in London last summer, traveling in the tube, there were probably 100, you know, 80 to 100 people sitting in that one tube. There was not one person looking up, engaging in eye contact with anyone. My friend who was there with me, we were on our way to a meeting. We were the only two that weren't on our phones looking around. And you could have a, a trafficking victim sitting straight across from you. And if you don't look up, you won't know. Yeah, that's true. There was a, a recent story, wasn't there, of an air hostess who spotted some signs from a young girl sat with an older man on a plane. Mm-hmm. And she managed to get her away from the guy in the end, didn't she? So, yeah, she did. Yeah, you know, and with hotels, so I just posted an article, you know, about what hotels can do. If, you know, it's a very simple question. Hey, are you excited to be here? Are you guys here on vacation? Are you on business? And you just look in somebody's eyes. Yeah. And you'll know, you'll know immediately. You know, they look down, they shuffle, uh, yeah, yeah, we're here on business, you know, or, and, you know, with the with all the online hotel bookings, sometimes they send the girls in, you know, and you just, you like really have to wake up and start to pay attention to what's in front of you, and you can actually save a life. And there really is a solution. You know, this is a daunting, it's a daunting conversation. It's a scary task to take on. And there really is a solution. I believe that my heart of hearts is that, you know, it's you and me having these kinds of conversations, sharing information online, sharing facts, you know, because the big number is frightening, 47 million. You know, you can break it down to, 54, you know, 5.4 million children, but then you can actually break it down into each, every single country, you know, and, and you can say, hey, did you know, in this particular country, over 600 individuals, like real people, were trafficked. Like in Moldova, it looks like there were about 300 victims reported in 2006. I'm sure the number has more than doubled. You know, those are real people. Not just some person made up. It's it's an individual suffering on on a daily basis. Things you can't even imagine. That's why I think it's so important to to have this interview with you because, as a solo traveller, I believe that your intuition is heightened anyway, and you kind of become more vigilant because you need to look around at your surroundings and make sure that you're not in danger and look out for certain things which you wouldn't normally do if you were with somebody else. And Great. With our community, we've got girls who actually live all around the world, and we also have girls traveling to all different places in the world. So my thinking was, if we can keep a lookout for the signs and report anything that we think is a bit suspicious, while our instinct is 
heightened anyway, then hopefully we can make a difference to to somebody's life. So I know you have a checklist on your website of signs to look out for, but are you able to, to go, and you've gone over a couple of them already, but are you able to just go over a couple with us now? Absolutely, yeah. I was, I was actually looking. I, I, I'm going to post that on your website. Fantastic. <laughs> so people can go to your Facebook page, so people can just, you know, go and, and download it for themselves and, you know, fold it up and keep it in their pockets. But, you know, so, so things to look for are, you know, girls that avoid eye contact. They're not allowed to look up. They're not allowed to look at other people. Um, you know, fearful, clearly fearful around the people that they're with. And, and, you know, the fidgeting of the fingers and, and the, you know, looking down and around or, you know, visibly shaking, right? Um, anxious behavior, visible scars or bruises or tattoos. Those are really the big things to look for. But the most important piece, honestly, is to trust your gut. You just got to trust your gut because I promise you, after people listen to this, people will start wandering around the globe and noticing things they've never noticed before. And I'm, I'm actually looking to work with a couple of companies to develop an app that you can download and take a picture and send it to an international database. So if someone's missing, they'll now have that girl's picture or that boy's picture. That's amazing. Because I think it's just super important to have people, give people an action. You know, in the United States, you've got the National Trafficking Hotline. And you can call it from any other country, right? But not everybody's going to have that kind of cell phone service. So, you know, it's important to be able to know what to do when you're someplace that keeps you safe. I don't want to put people in danger. I just want them to be aware and to take an action. You mentioned before about if you see, if you spot a potential victim in a hotel is talking to the hotel manager and mm-hmm. inquiring that way as well, didn't you? Yes. So is there anything else that girls could do as they travel? Is there any way that they can volunteer or... Absolutely. There's a lot of NGOs around the world. And if you're traveling and you know you're going to be someplace, go find the local International Justice Mission office. Go look for the International Shared Hope office. Or you can, you know, go... Because in the town, people will know. <laughs> you know, there's several organizations that, you know, there's YMCAs internationally. What are they doing? And they can just go and get involved. You know, go volunteer for a couple of days there, whether it's folding sheets or preparing meals or whatever that is that's needed for that organization. Um, I also invite people just, you know, to share and be open. And they can go to my Facebook page. I put a lot of information on my Facebook page. You know, they can they can stay up to date because I post stuff internationally too so they can stay up to date with what's happening around the world they can always 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 if they see something they're not quite sure what to do they can they're more than welcome to Facebook message me and I'll do whatever I can to put them in contact with who there is to contact it happens to me all the time prevention is my wheelhouse but because I'm so active on social media and people are so distraught and they don't know what to do they reach out to me and then because I've got you know network of people around the world and I connect them immediately to them and the other thing they can do is they can actually write you know if if they're european and they have a home country right write to your country's legislator legislative body and have them start to develop laws i have a friend who's an attorney down in australia and um she works on writing laws not only for australia but internationally 
you know, so they can always write letters or pick up the phone and call and just, you know, implore, implore their nation to rally behind these laws such that we can protect our children and the most vulnerable. Refugees are, are the most vulnerable. I actually work quite closely with War Child and I'm really passionate about helping the, the children who are affected by war because as you were saying yeah. earlier, it's our, there are, the children are our next generation, they're our leaders, they're the people who are really going to make a difference in our world. And mm -hmm. I believe that if a child suffers some kind of trauma or if they feel lost or not loved, then they're more vulnerable to being human trafficked or sex trafficked or turning into, worst case scenario, suicide bombers. But so yes. it's so important to look after our children today and look after teenagers as well. Um, very much so. Because you actually produced, you wrote and produced an award-winning film, didn't you, called Trapped in the Trade? I did. Which shows a young girl called Samantha, and she gets mm. trapped within a world of children. This is quite scary, actually. So she gets trapped within a world of children, recruiting other children into sex trafficking. So what was the response to the film? Um, the response is very, <laughs> it's, it's always the same. People stare at the screen, and they're like... I can't believe this is how it happens, like, because it's so seamless, you know, and unknown, because look, a, a pimp in, in his bottom will work with someone for nine months if they need to, because money involved. Or a quarter of a million, if they uh -huh. have a quarter of a million, yeah. It's, it's, you know, the opportunity to show how it happens in a story form, and it really lands with people. You know, I've seen... You know, 1,300 kids is a lot of kids to show this film to. And it, it opens up conversations. It opens up their eyes to the dangers of it. It opens up a dialogue where they can actually start to see the difference they can make with their friends in that space. Fantastic. Do you see anything changing in the future? I know you spoke earlier about education and about having conversations. Can you see anything changing in the future? Actually, I can, you know, because if, if between the Me Too campaign and Now What and all of the, the sexual assault shares that are coming out, people are becoming more and more aware because it's connected. You know, children that have been sexually assaulted or women that are victims of domestic violence, um, along with children in the foster care orphanage systems, they are, you know, it's the pipeline into this life because they already are, you know, dealing with some life challenges that that really don't prepare them for someone to come on and, and give them love. So I think the fact that more and more people are talking about it's important. I think that more and more, you know, not only here in the United States, but internationally legislation is being worked on and passed for more and more people to work together so we actually can catch the bad guys. And I think the third piece really is, you know, the end demand or people not porn um, movements because it really is about ending the demand as well. You know, it's a triangle. You've got the person being sold, you have the person selling them, you have the person buying them. And uh, there was a great study done actually over in Europe, and it, it interviewed over 600 men that um, were not only addicted to pornography, but also bought, you know, sex. And a high majority of them said the reason why they continue to do it is because they really don't, there's really no law that holds them accountable. You know, they might get a slap on the wrist, they might spend a night in jail, but other than that, you know, whereas the girl, sometimes she ends up in jail. And, you know, it's like, hang on. So there's, you know, there's some really powerful laws that are being 
talk about to do something about the demand side. Thank you so much for your time, Jan. Is there anything else that you wanted to add that we haven't covered? No, I'm actually going to add a couple of links on your page. I've, um, I've got the, the global hotlines for lots of countries, so I'm going to post that link so people have the numbers. Um, and I'll also post um, our download of what to look for so people can, you know, download it, save it under their phone, whatever they need to do to just always be aware of what's happening, and then they'll have access to the numbers to call and make a difference. Fantastic, thank you. And I've got all the links to um, everything we talked about on the interview as well. I just wanted to quickly add congratulations on being awarded Humanitarian of the Year. That's, thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it was quite a surprise. A friend of mine nominated me. It's an organization over in Brevard that does a lot of work uh, nationally. So to be awarded that was, was a very much an, a surprise and an honor. That must kind of give you that fuel to just keep going anyway very much so well you know seeing the difference that we make on children's faces that's that's really what what keeps me going is this is my mission it was given to me um it's laid on my heart and i'm just you know i'm just doing what i'm being led to do and that's really is what the fulfilling part is is watching children make the connections knowing that it's going to make the difference and possibly save their life amazing Thank you so much for joining me today, Jan, and I wish you every success in the future. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to educate um, the people on your not only on your Facebook page, but around the globe that are traveling. Together, we can make a difference. I hope that you enjoyed this interview. I think that Jan is such an amazing lady and you can find the written article that accompanies this podcast interview on the Girl About the Globe website. Thanks for listening to our Girl About the Globe podcast, making solo travel easier for you. Find everything that you need for your solo travels at girlabouttheglobe.com and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.